Thank you for joining us today on the Summit Global Investments podcast. I'm Bryce Sutton, Managing Partner with Summit Global Investments. Today's podcast will discuss factor investing, specifically around low volatility investing, and why SGI was founded on the principle of taking less risk in the stock market. Dave Harden, the CEO and founder of SGI, will be interviewed today by Kim Schooler with Wealthwave. We're grateful to Kim for taking the time out of her busy schedule to learn more about how SGI invests. Wonderful. Well, you know, Dave, Summit Global Investors is known for your low volatility strategies. Can you explain for our listeners what low volatility investing means? Absolutely. Another way to say it would be if I talk to my children or somebody young would be like a managed risk approach, right? So low volatility to me means that you're going to have less fluctuation in the price of your investments. To manage that fluctuation is what we try to do at some of global investments. We do that through quantitative means, think mathematics and correlations and and a lot of uh, information on individual securities and across asset classes. And we also do that through very hands-on fundamental approach where we look at companies to, and we, when we look at companies and analyze companies, we're looking for downside company specific or idiosyncratic risk. And when we find downside risk in a company, we do not want to own that company or we sell that company. So we actively manage these companies. And then we overlay everything that we do from the very start, this is over 10 years or so, with what we have, what was called an ESG or environmental social governance filter. So, um, you know, very important active ESG managed risk approach. That's what I would refer to as low volatility or lower fluctuations of price. Well, you know, after hearing that explanation, it's really easy to understand why low volatility has been a favored strategy of institutions and ultra high net worth clients. But you actually started SGI so you could provide this kind of strategy for regular individual investors. Why did that become so important to you? Well, one of the reasons I started SGI takes me back in my memory, and thanks for asking, Kim, is during 2008 when I was managing money, I remember Bear Stearns going under about this time, end of April, mid-April of 2008, and it already was somewhat of a rocky time. It started around August of 2007, and my father came and said, hey, can you help me with my investments? He's retired. He was worried about his investments like, you know, everybody during 2008, and he wanted help. And at the time, because of the strategies I was managing and how we manage money at Summit Global Investments, I, and I was at my previous employer, I could not help him. Of course, I put together a great portfolio, I thought, of mutual funds and ETFs and, and what have you. But then in August, you know what happened where we, you know, the really things almost fell off completely and the economy almost collapsed completely. And by December of 2008, my dad called and said, hey, seriously, can you help me? Can you manage my money personally? Or maybe I should go to work for you. <laughs> and so when you think about those options, you say to yourself, 
I have all this training, I have all this experience, and yet I can't even help my dad. Something needs to change. And so this is where SGI was born out of the desire to help the average day regular investor, whether they have $10,000 or less, or whether they have $10 million or more, to be able to put together a portfolio that makes sense and that can work for them. And that's why I started SGI. Well, I really love that story. And, you know, helping your family, that's what it's all about, and that you started SGI so you could take, you know, what you've learned working in the institutional world to regular, everyday investors is a really special thing, Dave. So that's the goal. You, that's what I. That's what we want to do. <laughs> ab, you know, absolutely. So, could you explain for our listeners the process you all go through at SGI in your managed risk overlay in, in selecting the, the stocks that you all own? Absolutely. I look at it as like a four-step approach. And so the first step is really answering the question, in today's marketplace, in today's market environment, how much risk should you take? How risky should you be? And that's the first quantitative step we take. We actually utilize several what's called, I call them risk covariance matrices. But basically they are correlations of stocks and how these stocks relate to one another. And we run these risk covariance matrices to find out where is the current risk in the marketplace? What does it look like? And we look at the curves that come out of these. Think efficient frontiers or think um, risk and return. Basically what we're looking for is where the break is in these curves. So academics will tell you that if you take more risk in equity markets, you'll get more return. Or some academics will say, you know, if you, if you take a certain amount of risk, you'll get return up to a certain point. The point is, when we run these curves, is that it's never a pure academic curve. It doesn't look perfect like you would see maybe, you know, in some academic paper. Sometimes you do get more return as you take some risk, and then it might go flat. So why take any more risk in the equity markets if there's no more return to be made? And so we look for these, you know, steeping, steep, steep parts of the curve. We look at for these bends where it makes sense to get the most return per unit of risk or most bang for your buck, if you will, and there's no reason to take any more risk than that. So that's step one is determine how much risk one should take in the equity markets. You know, step two in the process of four would be you want to, now that you know how much risk you want to take, you want to be able to invest in the companies at that level of risk that coupled together will return the most. And so we calculate a multi-factor or a multi-characteristic alpha. And this multi-factor alpha, when I say multi-factor, think of factors like growth characteristics or characteristics that show companies are cheap, maybe value characteristics, or characteristics that are talk about the risk of a company or the cash flow of a company, or the earnings quality of the company. There's multiple different types of factors out there, and we use quality factors, momentum factors, growth factors, value factors, and we combine these in a manner to create an expected return for every stock in the universe. Now, factors are different if you're investing in small cap stocks 
versus large cap stocks, maybe versus global stocks. They have different factors. But the process of combining these factors in a manner that helps one to understand expected return is really, really powerful and really, really important. And so if you think of the power, there's a lot of things that are very predictive of future stock returns. And that's what we're looking for, is what will predict future stock returns. We know companies that have more sales and are growing faster over time tend to do better. We know for companies that are cheaper, and if you can buy them cheaper, may do well over time. And so combining these is very important. And how you combine them gets important as well. Sometimes things do well over long periods of time and over multiple different type of market cycles up and down. Other factors do really, really good in an expanding, expanding economy, but they do very poor in a contracting economy. And so to be able to know where you're at in the business cycle, in the economic cycle, what factors to use, and how you kind of get in and out of factors is very dynamic. But at the end of this, all of it and all of that information is actually a return for every stock. So now when you plug in and kind of step into step three and you want to combine your risk target level that you've already determined is the most optimal in the marketplace, you're looking at what companies will give you the most return. And you can do that in an optimization. So step three would be an optimization type of formula, kind of mathematic. Notice step one, two, and three are very quantitative based. Step three in our optimization, we can enter con uh, constraints. For example, if it was a large cap portfolio, we may say, hey, we do not want any energy, or we do not want any tobacco, or we do not want any pornography or gambling. So we can have different ESG constraints. We can have different constraints around individual companies. Maybe we do not want to be uh, you know, 80% in one company or 20% in one industry. So these constraints come into play and at the end of it all, step one, two, and three, you actually have a portfolio that's a pretty decent portfolio, but it's all been very quantitatively built. And so step four is where we turn off the quantitative engines and we turn on the fundamental hands-on approach where we want to take a look at this company and we put it through a very rigorous um, analysis. And we're looking for downside indicators. So these are things like companies going through lawsuits, maybe SEC investigations, aggressive accounting, maybe auditors having problem with financials. Um, we're looking at how well the company's business plans are and what their business plans and how they're affected. So when we find companies that possibly have problems, we will not invest in those companies. So some obvious ones would be, you know, um, we would not buy and did not buy Boeing after the plane crashes because we felt like that created a lot of headwind specifically for that company, which it did and it sold off considerably, right? And our clients didn't have to be in that stock. Or, for example, another example would be like Bayer. Great managed company, great company, but Bayer bought the assets of Monsanto, and one of those assets were the Roundup product. And Roundup product lost lawsuit, and then lost another one, and lost another one. And anyways, after it lost its very first lawsuit, we sold out of Bayer because everybody's used Roundup, and it's a product that could create all sorts of different problems and future headwinds for Bayer. And there's a lot of other products that are very similar co companies 
um, to bear. So we can get the same exposure, same risk, same return, but just sidestepping something like one company like Bayer. So we're doing analysis, deep analysis on these companies. We're looking for environmental problems. We're looking for social problems. We're looking for, and there's a lot of governance problems. Um, and these are the things that help us to look for these, what I would call risk indicators that are predictive of a future stock blow up. Maybe not an industry, but a stock blow up. So you do not want to hold companies you know, like the old Enron. You get out of those companies way in advance and stay away from them until they recover from their problems. So one specific example that we sold, we had it in our portfolio, was Pacific Gas and Electric, the California company, that in October of 2017, I believe it was, was tied to, there was rumors that they were tied to the starting of fires that caused significant damage and death in California. We were holding the company at the time. It was in high 60s, low 70s range, and we sold out. They had similar problems back in the 90s. They went into bankruptcy back in that time and emerged from bankruptcy. We did not want anything to do with that, nor have our clients anything to do with that. So this is an example of a company we sold in the high 60s, 70s, low 70s, and as you know, it went through bankruptcy. Um, it's just about ready, I believe, to merge out of bankruptcy, but everybody that had money in that that stayed in it lost everything. And so these are the things that I think the four main steps we do to ensure that people are in the right portfolio at the right time, at the right level.